Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. Looking to 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, I want to preach a message I've entitled, The Principal Characteristic of the Christian Life. The Principal Characteristic of the Christian Life. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Augustine once said that the three most important qualities of the Christian life is first, humility, second, humility, and third, humility. Examining his statements, not only by the words of Peter here in our text, but by the entirety of God's Word, I think it is safe to say that Augustine is absolutely correct in his assessment of the Christian life. The principal spiritual attributes shining from the life of every Christian is to be humility. And that being said, I think it is needful to begin in our consideration of Peter's words by first recognizing what humility is. If you're taking notes this morning, my first main heading is what humility is. And the logical conclusion to Peter's words is if we are going to be clothed with humility as God through Peter demands then we must begin by understanding what humility is. And simply put, true humility is the complete surrender of oneself to God. If we could give humility a working biblical definition, it would be this. Humility is the complete surrender of oneself to God. And while I do not disagree with those who assert that humility involves having a right judgment of ourselves, thinking less of ourselves, and striving to put others first, I think all such attitudes and actions can only be done as one submits himself to God. Think about it. The Bible affirms that you and I are born naturally selfish. The Bible declares that you and I are born loving ourselves more than God. We are born a natural rebel toward God's authority. Which means then that we are naturally proud and not humble. In Adam, in our sin, we want to do what is best for us. We want to do what brings us the most pleasure and enjoyment. The Bible says, 
All we like sheep have gone astray from the good shepherd. The Bible says that in our pride and rebellion against God, we do what is right in our eyes, chasing after satisfaction in everything but God. In our pride, we think that we are always right. We think we know what is true. In our pride, we stubbornly choose to believe what we want to believe, and we willfully live how we want to live because we think we know what is best. This is the spirit of pride, which is the opposite of the spirit of humility. If pride is rebellion toward God's authority, then humility is submission to God's authority. So what is humility? Humility is complete submission toward God. Humility is complete submission toward God's word and God's will. And because Jesus Christ himself is God, it is needful to recognize that humility is the complete submission to Christ. Humility is the surrendering of oneself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think it is safe to assert that the greatest visible definition of humility given to us by God is Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is the essence of true humility. To be humble is to have the Spirit of Christ. To be humble is to live like Jesus lived. And how did Jesus live his life? He lived it in submission to God the Father. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus was made in the likeness of men. And he willingly humbled himself so that he might become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, it was not merely his selflessness that led him to the cross. It was his submission to the Father's will that led him to the cross. Did you catch it? It wasn't Jesus' love alone that caused him to die in the place of sinners. It was Jesus' submission to the Father's will that caused him to be crucified. His submission to the Father led him to empty himself in selfless love. Remember, Christ said, I came not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Christ said, my meat is to do the Father's will. In the garden, Jesus prayed, Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Do you see the spirit of humility in Christ? He was humble because he was completely surrendered to the Father's will. And this, my friend, is exactly what humility is. Humility is denying yourself taking up your cross and following Christ. 
This is true humility. And listen, the only way for any of us to come under the authority of God is through the process of conversion. The process of conversion is the process whereby God takes away the rebellious heart and gives us a heart that delights to do His will. This is what we call the new birth. This is what it means to be born again. This is salvation. Listen, this is what it means to become a Christian. And one of the greatest illustrations we have in our Bibles concerning true humility in the process of salvation is the account of the Pharisee and the publican. Two men went to the temple to pray. Two men exercising themselves in what we might call religious actions. The one was a Pharisee and the other was a publican, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood thus with himself and said to God, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Catch it. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes toward heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's translated in the original language. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner of all sinners. And Christ says of these two men that it was the publican who went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see, becoming a Christian involves God convincing you that you are a great sinner in need of a great Savior. Becoming a Christian involves you coming under the authority of God. To be converted involves God bringing you to the end of yourselves, like the prodigal son who's realized that he has sinned against heaven and sinned against his father and he is no wise worthy to be called the son. To be converted involves God persuading you of your inability to save yourself. Salvation involves God stripping you of your self-righteousness so that you will only see that your hope is in Christ's righteousness. Salvation involves God causing you to be broken over your sin before Him. And this is what Paul calls calls godly sorrow that works to repentance. What is salvation? Salvation is God bringing you to a place like Saul of Tarsus, where you humbly submit to the authority of Christ, listen, desiring to do His will over and above your will. Recognizing that your life is not yours to live, but Christ. So let me ask you this morning, have you come to this place? Are you a slave to Jesus Christ? 
Has he bought you? Has he purchased you? Are you living under the lordship of Christ? Or are you a lost Pharisee who professes God with your mouth, but your heart is still distant from him? Humility is submission to God. The Pharisees were not submitted to God, so they were proud. And listen, you will not have a right judgment of yourself. You will not think less of yourself. You will not put the needs of others before your own as God would have you to do until you first submit to His authority in salvation. Humility, true humility starts here. True humility starts with being in Christ who is the essence of humility. That's what humility is. Humility is Christ. Humility is submitting to God the Father through the power of Jesus Christ. And then turning to our second main point, I want you to recognize from our text what humility looks like in the life of a Christian. So having considered what humility is, let me proceed by expounding from our text what humility looks like. And let me remind you that this exhortation to be humble is connected to various exhortations to submit, right? The sheep are to submit to their shepherds. The shepherds are to submit to Christ, the chief shepherd. And those who are younger in age are to submit to those who are older in age. Yea, all of you are to submit one to another as it is agreeable to the will of God. And then you will remember that Peter, throughout the whole of his epistle, has been exhorting believers to submit to governing authorities and their earthly masters and for Christian wives to submit to their unbelieving husbands. So question, what does humility look like as it relates to God? It looks like living by the motto. If that's what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. If God wants me to submit to governing authorities that I don't agree with, I will do my best to do so as a representative of Christ. If God wants me to submit to my master as a slave, even though there are instances in which I suffer for it, unjustly, I'm going to do so to the glory of God as it's fitting in the Lord. If God wants me to submit to my husband who's lost, 1 Peter chapter 3, humility before God looks like, I'm going to do so in the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Sarah with the desire that the goodness of Christ through my actions would lead my lost husband to a saving knowledge of Christ. If God wants me to be a part of the flock and to come under the authority of spiritual shepherds, I'm going to do so without excuse, without hesitation, and without delay. This is what true humility looks like as it relates to God. Let me put it in Marine Corps language for you. True humility before God looks like, yes, sir. Are you tracking? 
to come before God and say, I know that God's word says, but is pride. To come before God and say, I know God would have me to do, but I don't want to do it, is pride. When we say in our hearts, I don't want to love others as God commands. I don't want to forgive as God expects. I don't want to receive the instruction of God's word. I don't want to pray. I don't want to honor the Lord's day. I don't want to seek the wisdom of others as God would desire me to do. This is nothing short of mutiny against God. The Apostle James says, Those who know to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's rebellion. It's pride. So humility, as it relates to God, involves submitting to his commands. And then connected with this, it is important to recognize that humility, as it relates to others gives proper honor and respect toward those who are above you. So there is true humility as it relates to God, and then there is true humility as it relates to God, as it relates to men. And true humility, as the text is teaching us, is to submit ourselves under those that God wants us to submit to. So look, it's one thing to say that you are submitting yourself to God It's another thing to show that you're submitting yourself to God by actually submitting to the authorities that God has placed in your life. And this is why I have a serious problem with those who say that they are intimately in love with Jesus who continually resist committing themselves to a church body and submitting themselves to spiritual leadership. How can you claim to submit to Christ while rejecting that which Christ loved and died for? That's pride. How can you claim to be in love with the head of the church while neglecting the church? Listen, the one who says, I love Jesus but refuses to submit to the authorities God has placed in their life is either spiritually naive or spiritually blind and arrogant. They are willfully resisting biblical accountability that God has established. There's no other way to put it. Think of Christ again. Think of Him. Christ, the creator of the universe, showed humility by submitting himself to his earthly parents. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, showed humility by paying taxes to Rome. Christ, the one that we will stand before one day, willingly laid down his life to do the Father's will. Was it easy? Was it pleasant? Was it without pain? No. 
Christ joyfully endured the cross because it was according to God's will. And listen, this is what it means to obey the first and great commandment. The first and great commandment is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others as ourselves. So how can we do this? We can only do it by submitting ourselves to God in sincere, Christ-like humility. Yes? Humility submits itself to God. And it is demonstrated by submitting ourselves to God's ways. And God's ways teach us that we submit to God's authorities. So humility looks like joyfully obeying God's commands and joyfully obeying them in faith that what he says is right and best. And then looking to our third point, I want us to understand why such humility is needed in our Christian life. Having looked at what humility is and what humility looks like, I want you to notice from Peter's words why humility is needed. Notice verse 5 and 6. God says that humility before God is needed for two primary reasons. One is negative and the other is positive. Number one, humility is needed in our lives because God says that He resists the proud. And the word resist here gives the picture of God setting Himself up as an enemy against us. When we refuse to submit to God's authority, God's word, God's ways, God, in a very real way, withholds blessing from us. He closes the windows of heaven. And He purposely refuses to answer our prayers. What did the psalmist say? If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. Why won't he hear us? Because he's resisting us. Why is he resisting us? Because in our pride, we're regarding iniquity in our heart. When we knowingly trust our own hearts and do what we want to do above that which God wants us to do, listen, God will give us over to our own ways by way of discipline. God hates pride. Pride is detestable to God. It's devilish. In fact, Samuel tells us that our arrogant rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Who's the father of pride? But Satan himself. The one who wants to do what he wants to do. The one constantly kicking against the authority of Christ. Questioning the authority of his word. So you see, all self-love, all self-reliance, all self-righteousness, all self-promotion is a poison that will ruin our spiritual lives. The desire to be served rather than to serve, the idea that we are always right and never wrong, the unwillingness to receive counsel and reproofs from others will always lead us to a place of great despair. And listen, this is why some who come among our church Sunday by Sunday are so miserable. There are many who come to church with their bodies 
but their heart is not right in the sight of God. There are many who say they love God, but they're living a double life. They put on Christ on Sunday and then they cast Him off Sunday night. And let me just say, God knows your sin. You're not fooling Him. You may fool others. You're not fooling God. Listen to me for a moment. The reason some of you don't get anything from your Bible reading is because of your pride. The reason some of you don't know the joy of the Lord is because of your pride. The reason some of you are not advancing in sanctification is due to your pride. If you know that you should be saved, but you refuse to come to Christ, God is going to resist you. If you know that you should honor the Lord with the first fruits of all that you have, but you refuse to give it because it doesn't make sense, God's going to resist you. If you know that you should forgive the brother or sister in Christ who has hurt you, but you refuse to forgive, God is going to resist you. You are going to quench and grieve God's Spirit. And God is going to allow you to stumble and to make a fool out of yourself so that you learn that what He says is true. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud. Do I need to give you biblical examples? Think of those who resisted the leadership of Moses. It wasn't Moses that they were resisting. It was God who appointed the leadership of Moses. God allowed the earth to open and swallow up those who were murmuring and complaining. Think of Israel heartlessly offering sacrifices to God. Isaiah chapter 1. They were doing the right thing. They were going about religious motions, but their heart was not right with God. They were cleaving to idols. God was resisting them. Think of Jonah refusing to do what the Lord said. God said, go this way. Jonah says, nope, go in this way. God resisted him. God disciplined him. God had to bring him low. Think of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. He thought he was getting away with it, but he was miserable. How do we know he was miserable? Psalm 51 tells us he was miserable. He had to cry out that the Lord would be his joy again because he had lost it. God was resisting him. Think of the church in Corinth dishonoring the Lord's table. God was resisting them. So many were sick and dying in the church. So listen, this ought to cause great trembling. We need to take heed to this serious warning. How many of you want to be resisted by God? I hope not one. And yet it is so often the case. You're resisted by God because of pride. You refuse to do what God says to do. Why is humility needed? First, because God says He resists those who act proud. And then second, notice, because God says He gives grace and exaltation to those who are humble. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. Be warned. Tremble at that. But also be encouraged that God giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Why should we submit ourselves to God? Why should we clothe ourselves in humility? Why should we deny ourselves and put the needs of others before our own? Because God promises to honor those who honor Him. God in this text assures us that when we humble ourselves under His authority, He will exalt us in due time. It's a promise. So put it in context. Think about it as it relates to what humility looks like. Here it is. Application. When an employee submits himself to God by submitting himself to his employer, God will in his own ways and in his own time bless such an employee. When a wife submits herself to God by submitting herself to her husband, God will give her the strength that is needed to do his will. When a pastor submits himself to the chief shepherd, his ministry will be honored by the chief shepherd. When sheep submit to God by submitting to the shepherds of the church, as the shepherds faithfully preach the word of God, God will grow the sheep in Christ-likeness. When children submit to God and honor and respect their parents, God will exalt them in due time. We find an example of this submission in Sarah. As I've mentioned, submitting herself to Abraham. Sarah, giving birth to the promised seed. What a blessing. We find an example of such exaltation in Joseph's life. Hated by his brothers. Sold into slavery. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Forgotten about in due time. God raised him up to save much people alive. He was humble. He trusted in the Lord. We find such grace being given in Daniel's submission to the Lord as he submitted himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. We find such blessing being given to Queen Esther as she submitted herself to God in being used to save her people and then Mary, the mother of Christ, as she willfully submitted herself to God despite all the worry, all the fear, all the apparent awkwardness, having a baby, not being married, must have appeared so lunacy in the eyes of others. God blessed her life. And so here I want you to see the connection between faith and obedience and obedience with humility. These all tie together. Listen, to obey God is to trust God. And to trust God is to obey God. And to obey God in faith, we must humble ourselves in acknowledging that though we don't understand why God wants us to do certain things, we know that His ways are the best. Do you see the connection? On a human level, it doesn't make sense to tithe when we're financially tight. According to human reasoning, 
It doesn't make sense to love those who hate us and are persecuting us. From the world's perspective, living by God's standards seems like a waste of life. But when you look at it from God's perspective, with the eye of faith, we see that to die is to live. To give up is to gain. The way up is the way down. There are the motivations for humility. We had to humble ourselves because God resists the proud and He gives grace to the lowly. He gives grace to the humble. Finally, let me conclude by giving in my fourth point some ways humility can be obtained. So we've considered from our text what humility is. What is it? Submission to God. Humility is being clothed in the Spirit of Christ. We've looked at also what humility looks like, twofold. It looks like yielding ourselves to God's commands, and it looks like yielding ourselves to the authorities that are over us as unto the Lord. And then we see why humility is needed. Why is it needed? Because God says He will resist the proud. He will resist the disobedient. He will resist the hypocrite. But he will give grace to the humble, to those who do his will. Now let's answer the question, how can humility be obtained? Number one, we've already answered it. Humility is first obtained in salvation. Humility is first obtained in our putting on Christ. To put on Christ is to put on humility. And you cannot and you will not do what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, unless you've been first humbled at the feet of Christ. Humility is first obtained in salvation. And then as a Christian, humility is obtained by confessing and repenting of pride. Someone has said humility is the repentance of pride. Do you want to be clothed in humility? You must continually come before God's presence, examining your hearts by the truth of God's word and be willing to repent of that which is not in accordance to God's will. A broken and contrite spirit he will not despise. What is required of us? But to love mercy and walk humbly with our God, to do justly. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. As a Christian, humility is obtained by confessing and repenting, turning away from our pride. So see for what it is. And then third, humility is obtained by committing ourselves to God daily. What does humility look like? It looks like this, waking up and saying every day, today I'm going to decisively live in submission to God in every area of my life. Humility looks like striving to do what is right in the Lord's eyes whether others will join us in doing so or not. This is the motto of Joshua. As for me and my house, 
We are going to serve the Lord. This is the spirit of David throughout the Psalms. David throughout the Psalms continually says, I will, I will, I will. Though he doesn't feel, he is committed to will. Though he is persecuted, though he's hated falsely, though he's sincerely struggling with discouragement and depression, he commits himself to God saying, I will stay true to God's ways. This is humility. This is the motto of Paul. As for me, to live is what? Christ. Who's Christ? Humility. Submission to God. You see, this is not just some sentimental emotion. For me to live as Christ. Look at my coffee cup. Look at my bumper sticker. This is reality. For to me to live as Christ. What does that look like? What does it mean to live a life like Christ? To submit to God in everything. Don't tell me you love Christ if you're not submitting to Him. And then finally, we come to the fourth way that the humility is obtained. And you will notice, verse 7, that Peter wants us to understand that true humility is obtained in prayer. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Come under His sovereignty. Come under His rule, His authority. He is the Almighty. He is King. Humble yourselves, therefore, under Him, that He may exalt you in due time. The sentence continues. There's not a break. Casting all of your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Remember, Peter's a fisherman. He knows what it is to cast. To cast is to throw out completely. Not holding on to part, but to cast fully in the water. This is what it means to be humble. And to be humble in prayer. Do you want to be humble? You must pray. And what is prayer? Prayer is not the heartless repetition of words. Prayer is the yielding of ourselves to God. This is why we are taught to submit all things to God, the Lord's Prayer, and pray. What are the first two words? Our Father. What does that mean? It means that you're coming under His authority. Fathers in your home, you are the authority. Your children are not. They follow your rules. You don't follow theirs. At least I hope you don't. Our Father. He is our Father. He's above us. Keep it going. Who art in heaven. Oh, He's exalted. He's majestic. He's perfect. Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom. He's a king. Come under His authority. This is prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Every part of that prayer is teaching us to be humble. And to be humble is to come under God's submission. Enough with this. God, thank you for the weather. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the wind. Thank you for the snow. Help our politicians. Help this. Help that. Our prayers are so physical and finite in nature. 
Come under the authority of God in prayer. Come on, truly pray. Be real with God. God, it's hard to submit. Yes? You read your Bible and the Bible tells you to do something. You put it down. You say, no. How can anyone do that? That's the point. You can't. Without Christ, without humility, without submission to God, you can do nothing. This is why Christ prayed. He taught us how to pray. Casting himself, he poured out his heart before God. Not my will, but thy will be done. Father, if it's possible, please let this pain depart. Yes, some of you dealing with pain. And losses and crosses, help me out. But not my will. Lord, if you would use it to conform me to the image of Christ, if you would use this to clothe me in humility, so be it. If this is your will for my life, Job, I can't understand it. He's lost everything. But God, if you would use this for the honor and glory of your name, that's what I want. Not just take it all away, Lord. Take the pain away. No, Lord, give me grace to endure it. Ask God for humility. You want humility? Ask for it. What does James say? Ye have not because ye ask not. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. It's according to His will to pray for humility. Put that at the top of your prayer request. Yeah? How can I pray for you? Answer, I need more humility. <laughs> top three characteristics of a Christian's life. Augustine says, humility, humility, humility. I don't want to be resisted by God. I need supernatural grace, so pray that I'll be humble. But I have to warn you, such a request is the most dangerous request you can ask of God. Because when you ask for it, God is going to cause you to taste something of the sufferings of Christ. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that Christ learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The psalmist says that he praises God that he might be afflicted so that he might learn God's ways. Suffering is often the way of humility. And humility is the way of learning obedience. The principal characteristic of the Christian life. What is it? Humility. So may God give us the grace to enable us to walk humbly with Him.